0: Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake, you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. There's a part of me that's so excited about what's happening in our middle schoolers, those 5th and 6th graders, but um, there's also a part of me that like looks back on that stage of my life with just a tinge of embarrassment. Uh, Because despite my, um, you know, dapper good looks now and my muscles that are popping out of this kid's extra large shirt, uh, all these things that are happening now, I had to grow into this majestic being that is my body, okay? And so the middle school years for me were not one that were super, super pleasant, uh, both externally, physically, and internally, uh, mentally. So I'm going to share a story with you guys this morning that I need to kind of just keep in this room, okay? When, and I, ne- I need you to give me your word that when I share this story, you don't see me differently, okay? Because it's a very vulnerable part of my, of my history. But when I was in fourth grade, I had my first ever sleepover, all right? It was like an exciting, exciting time. It was, it was a birthday party for one of our friends, and all of my buddies were going to be there. And so it was my first time being away from home. And at the time, I was really, really excited about it. But when I got away from home, okay, this is vulnerable, okay? I got to my friend's house, and they're all having a good time. They're all, like, normal human beings. And I get there, and I start to cry. because I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm away from home. My mom's not here, and what am I going to do? And I have to fall asleep in a bed that's not my own. And it was, like, super, super vulnerable for me. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to call my mom and just, like, you know, chat with her a little bit, just just make myself feel better. A fourth-grade boy calling his mom in the middle of a sleepover, okay? Looking back on that, I'm like, what in the heck am I doing? So I called her, and then I kind of got calmed down, and then 20 minutes later, called her again. Then 10 minutes later, called her again. And I, I literally, no joke, I called her like 20 times in the span of like four and a half hours to the point that my dad had to drive to my friend's house and pick me up from the sleepover at like 10 o'clock at night because I couldn't possibly muster up the strength to do that. That's embarrassing, okay? Like a fourth grade boy, I know some of you guys are like, this is kind of embarrassing. But it was so, so freaky being away from home from everything I knew, everything that I was excited about, everything that was comfortable to me. When I look back on that story, not only is it just like a little bit of an embarrassing story, but it's kind of been the theme of my life. Like I am I am someone who like when I step into something new or something exciting, there's always a part of me that's like, you know, like some people are just like cannonball into new stuff. Like, oh, let's go after this. Oh, yeah, let's go. I'm kind of like the, do I have anybody else like that? Some of us are like calculated risk people. Okay, one person. Fantastic. All right. Corey, you and I can hang out because that's how we roll, but today we're going to talk about getting uncomfortable. We're going to talk about stepping into something that I believe God's called us to do because we've been in this series called Guess Who, because for the last two weeks we've been talking about this thing called identity, who we are, how God's made us to be. And so we've talked about the first week in, in on New Year's Day, we talked about how the identity of Jesus was the thing that the devil attacked right away, when Jesus was most vulnerable It's this identity that Satan went after. And then last week, we talked about who we are as human beings. I had a mirror up here, and I talked about how so many times we look into the mirror, we don't just see the reflection of what we're looking at. I mean, physically, we do. But when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we see ourselves through the lens of successes and titles and good things that happen in our life. But at the same time, we also see ourselves through some failures. We see ourselves through mistakes. We see ourselves through regrets. And it can really, really just eat away at us. And so as we talk about identity, as we talk about all these types of things, it's one thing to know who you are. But there are so many times I think we know who we are, but it doesn't change the fact that when we walk through something, when we go into a storm, when we step into something new and exciting, it doesn't always just make those emotions go away. So if you guys are ready this morning, again, we got caffeine, we got playoff football, we have excitement in this room. If you are ready to jump in for a word that I believe God has for you, give me one emphatic yeah. Yeah. Man, come on, you were waiting for that. Judges chapter six, we're going back to the Old Testament today. Where we pick up with the story in chapter six, Israel, the nation that God loves. God's chosen people, the people who grew up in Israel. They had been delivered out of Egypt, out of slavery. They had a new life. They stepped into this thing called the promised land with all of good land, good soil. They can have as many crops as they want. They can have the biggest houses they want. God had given them this amazing thing. And so he only had one thing to say to them. He's like, hey, I'll give you all of this. You can have the best food, the best crops, the best land, Everyone can have their own space. Like, the complete opposite of living a life in slavery. You can have it. The only thing I'll tell you, Israel, the only thing i got to say is just don't marry the people of the land. They're ugly. Just kidding. Just kidding. That's not in the Bible. It would be cool if it was, though. Anyways. He said, the only thing I ask you to do is to not marry the people in the land because when you marry them, you're going to adopt their practices. You're going to adopt their culture. You're going to do the things that they do. And here's the problem with that. They stand in complete opposition to everything I want for you. They worship other gods. They do other things I don't want for you. The very thing I just delivered you from, slavery, you'll be enslaved back to that culture if you're not careful. So, stay loyal to me. Stay together. But human beings, being human beings, they're kind of like, okay, yeah, sounds good. Thanks. But slowly but surely, they step away from what God's calling them to do. And they step into the temptation to find the people attractive and get married to them and all these types of things. So, what happens is, after a while, they get sucked in. The very thing that God called them to be aware of, they got sucked into. And so, what happens is, for seven years, God is like, all right, all right, do your thing. Do your thing. It's Like telling your kid, don't touch that burner. Don't touch that burner. Don't touch that burner. <laughs> ah, right? Parenting 101. But what happens here in Israel is they're having this moment, and God just lets them go. So for seven years, the Midianites are this nation outside of Israel. And they just take over Israel. They take them over. They, they, they kick them out of their homes. They take their food. They take their livestock. They just completely steamroll Israel because Israel had kind of come underneath their rule by doing the very thing God asked them not to do. So after seven years of being beaten down, scared away, all these things, finally Israel's like, all right, God, help us. God, help me. They start to praise, God, we screwed up, we messed up, I know that, but please just deliver us out of this. We can't take this anymore. So Judges chapter 6, verse 11, God responds this way, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord's with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. See, Gideon is an Israelite. He was born in this family of the Israelites, but he's young. He's, I can only imagine, like a teenager or a young 20s. So, for the last seven years, he's witnessed this oppression. He's witnessed this people that he loved just get absolutely steamrolled by this really, really big country. And so we see he was doing this thing called threshing wheat. Basically, at this time before we had combines and all this other nice agricultural stuff, in order to get the wheat, they had to go through a manual process where they'd have to separate the wheat from the chaff. And they'd normally do this in a big open area to where like when they separate that, all of the stuff would just blow away and all you'd be left with is the wheat that you could harvest. But it says he was threshing wheat in a wine press. If you ever look at a wine press from ancient Israel, they're down like Low. Because what you would do is there was like a three-tier thing of a wine press. You'd start by stomping the grapes up on top, and all the juices would run down to the next level. Then you go down there and stomp all those to go down to. Eventually, you had wine at the bottom. So it's a sunken area, not ideal for threshing wheat because the wind can't get down there; it can't blow it away. But the reason he's down there is because he knows if he doesn't, his food's gonna get taken away. This awful country is gonna come in. And take all of it away. So here we are. This this angel comes down and talks to Gideon. Says, hey, the Lord is with you. But do you know what's Gideon's response? God comes in and says, hey, Gideon, the Lord is with you. Mighty warrior. And Gideon comes back and basically says, oh yeah? The Lord's with us, huh? The Lord's with us. Is that why for the last seven years, we had this nice land, we had these nice houses, but now we're having to live in caves? Because when you look at Judges chapter 6, the beginning part of it, they're living in caves because Midian came in, kicked them out of their houses, and the only way they could survive, the only way they could keep on living was to hide in caves as their new homes. So Gideon's saying, the Lord's with us, then why am I living in a cave? the Lord's with us, then how come for the last seven years, every single year, I go out and I plant my crops and I harvest them and I till the soil and I do all these things, but just when it's time to come and harvest, just when it's time to come and get the food so I can feed myself and I can feed my family, how come this nation known as the Midianites comes in, kicks me off to the side, takes my crops and heads off back to their country? How come for the last seven years years. We've been bullied. We've been tossed to the side. We've been oppressed. If the Lord is with us, then what gives? Where's the God that my grandpa told me about? Where's the God that my grandpa's grandpa told him about? Where where God sent plagues on Israel and made these crazy things happen so they could stop being slaves? Where's the God that I heard about where you split a sea in half and then we walked on dry ground and then you moved the water back over to take out our enemies? Where's the God that said, I have a promised land for you, flowing with milk and honey with all the things I want? I heard about it. My grandpa told me about it. My dad told me about it. But everything I'm seeing is not that. The Lord is with us, not from my perspective, not what I'm seeing. Because this whole life, this is the time before printing press. This is the time before written things down. So the only way that stories pass on from generation to generation was orally. So everything, every story that came out was as good as law, was as good as a history book. So Gideon knew that God had been there for them in the past. But right now, it sure doesn't look that way. Gideon is frustrated, clearly. He's exhausted. He's weary. To thresh wheat in a wine press was a lot of work. A lot of work. Not only that, I think he was scared. He was hiding. He was doing it by himself, off to the side. It gets so bad that did you notice the language in there? The Lord has abandoned us. Depending on the translation you look at in the Bible, that word "abandoned" sometimes is "forsaken." The Lord has forsaken us, which means He turned His back. He let us go. He betrayed us. This isn't one of those sermons or one of those moments in the sermons where like you want to raise your hand. But I think if we got to really honest with ourselves, if we were to just be truthful beyond measure internally. I think there are times in our life where we can look back and feel the same exact way that Gideon did. The Lord has abandoned me you come to church, people are clapping their hands and they're raising their hands and they're singing the songs and it feels like they're in love with God. The pastor gets up and talks about how much God loves you, how powerful God is, how your miracles just on the other side. So just keep on going. You hear about these people who had these crazy things happen to them. Bills get taken care of, addictions being freed from, all of these things that we hear about in church. But if you're really honest with yourself, I think there are times before your breakthrough happens where you feel like that's great for them. But where's mine? Where's mine? See, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, but God didn't answer my prayer. I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and he healed them, but he didn't heal my parent. He didn't heal my sibling. He didn't heal my aunt. The Lord has abandoned me Lord's forgotten about me. See, it's not something we want to admit to other people in our church, even to ourselves. But I think there gets these moments in our life where we don't see what we know. We know God loves us. We know God's there for us. We know God's real. We think, right? But our experience doesn't match what we know. And it causes us to doubt it causes us to feel like Gideon saying like, okay, yeah, you can say you're with me, but everything I'm seeing and experiencing tells me the opposite. He's honest, he's raw. But God says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And he comes back and says, all right, I don't believe you. But after his rebuttal, I want you to see how God responds. Because Gideon straight up like, just let him have it. You've abandoned us, God. You've let us go. The Lord's not with me. Look how God responds. Go on the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? What a response. Okay, what a response. When I read this, I almost laughed out loud because there were times growing up for me. My dad would ask me to do something. Hey, Derek, um, I need you to mow the lawn and clean out the shed for me today okay, dad, but I got homework and I've, I'm really tired and, you know, I've had a long week at school and so, like, I really don't want to do that. And there are times when my dad would be like, oh, yeah, I forgot, can you sweep the garage too? Like, completely ignoring me, like, completely ignoring my rebuttal to him. Because, quite frankly, he's like, I don't care. I really don't care. I asked you to do something. I'm your parent, so I need you to go and do this. When I look at this response, I love how God's unfazed by Gideon's doubts. He's completely unfazed. The Lord's with you, mighty warrior. Okay, I don't believe that. Anyways, go on the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? What's so interesting to me about this whole story is that Gideon was actually talking directly to God. It says it's an angel of the Lord. So a lot of times we think of an angel as being like, angels are kind of like God's servants. But look how Gideon responds to him. Pardon me, my Lord. I didn't know this, but someone who's way smarter than I am has spent way more time studying this stuff. An expert in Bible theology says how there's a lot of experts who agree that this was not just like an angel, a servant of God. This was God himself in angel form. So Gideon is talking directly to God, directly to him. And God responds back. Here's where I really want to camp out today. Here's where I believe there's a word for a lot of people in this church today. After God says, hey, go. Go. Look at Gideon's response back. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. I love this response because I give you the the Derek living translation. You've heard of the NIV. You've heard of the NLT. You've heard of all these different translations. I'm going to give you the Derek Mum translation. God says, hey, go and do this. I don't know Gideon's response. (laughs) That's hilarious. Not happening. You picked me. You picked me. Small five foot eight me, 140 pounds. Not smart, not intelligent. You're sending me to go and run a country, to go and deliver these people? You must be outside of your mind. I thought you were crazy before, but now I know you're nuts. I'm selling that translation coming up. So if anyone wants to buy my translation, it's in process. But no, here's what I love. Here's what I love. Gideon first started doubting God's presence in his life. But as soon as God flipped the script, as soon as he turned the tables, now Gideon was doubting himself too. When we look at this story, it's not nearly as much about how Gideon looked at himself as not being good enough. It's how he didn't feel good enough in light of the opposition in front of him. Midian was a country of 135,000 different troops. Israel, the whole nation, had about 33,000. So this army was huge. This army was massive. They were oppressive. They were strong. They were able to conquer anybody and anything. And here is Gideon, mind his own business, weakest dude in his family, weakest tribe in the whole nation of Israel, hiding in a little wine press by himself, minding his own business. When God comes and says, hey, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. So go in the strength to save Israel. It sounded insane. It sounded crazy. Kind of point. Church, I believe there are people in this room who God's calling you to do something that is outside of your comfort zone, outside of what you think is possible. And you give God every reason in the book to not step into because you don't feel good enough. You don't feel qualified enough. You don't feel like you can do it. But that's where the true strength lies. First Corinthians chapter two. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. We have some dreamers in the room. Some of you are really good at dreaming. Dreaming big things. Things I want to see in my life in the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 25 years. And they're big. They're things that seem in this stage of your life almost impossible. But this verse absolutely blows me away. Because it's saying that God has things in store for you, plans for you. That are so big and so beyond your scope that no human mind can conceive it. That's a big thing. It's a big thing. So here's the crazy part God could have snapped his fingers and delivered Midian. Could have snapped his fingers and just decimated the whole country with a wave. He has that power. We've seen it before. But he goes to Gideon, takes the smallest guy, the least likely to do it, and says, Gideon responds, how can I save Israel? The weakest, the smallest. But I think as we read this story, it's important that we also put ourselves in Gideon's shoes. Because it might look different, but I think in a lot of ways, our version kind of goes, goes like this. How can I restore my marriage? How can I save my marriage? I'm the one who's causing the problems. I'm the one who can't stop doing this. I'm the one who can't get away from this addiction. I'm the one who's causing the problems. and I can't stop myself. So how can I save my marriage? How can I save my marriage when I might be the one who has to keep me on the receiving end of all of these things? I can't keep fighting. I'm weary. I'm tired. How can I save it? How can I conquer my depression, my anxiety? I've done the counseling. I've taken the meds. I've done the things and it doesn't work. So how in the world can I keep on fighting this thing, just one man, just one woman? How can I leave this job I hate to pursue my dream? I don't have a resume, don't have the experience. How can I? How can I lead a small group? How can I go back to the kids' wing to teach kids? How can I step up and do something when I don't know my Bible like they do, when I don't have the charisma like they do? How can I come to church when I'm the one who did the the, the weird stuff? How can I fight cancer when I've seen it take lives? How can I climb out of this financial crisis when everything feels impossible? How can I go back into my world and do things I know I should do? How can I? I'm one person who feels like I'm fleeting and don't have the strength. How can I save Israel? And here's the key to the whole thing. Verse 16, after another objection, here's what God says. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I believe there are things in your life that you have not yet stepped into, things beyond your scope, things beyond what you can do, that feel too big, and they feel like you're way up against, way over your head. But the key to all of it is the very first thing with God led. God came down and the first thing he said is the Lord is with you. And after all this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, God ends it with this same promise. I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites leaving none alive. There is power in the presence of God. There is power in him being present in your life. You might have doubts. You might have doubts in yourself. You might have doubts in God. You might not feel like it's possible. But I'm here to tell you there is power in God's presence in your life. You might not feel it. You might not feel the warm fuzzies. You might come to church knowing full well you don't want to be here. Because you can't handle God not answering your prayer again. This is not just for people who don't believe. This is for everyone in the room. You might love God. You might completely serve him with your life. You might be completely arms out, abandoned. God, I am yours. But still wrestle with the doubt of yourself and the doubt of who God's called you to be. But the promise is the same. I will be with you. I want to end with this part of the story. After this whole Full part of this process. Gideon finally says, alright. Verse 17. If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. So after this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, Gideon's finally like, alright God. I think this might be you. Maybe. Just maybe this is you. So let me just get a sign. This is really, really you. Give me a sign to prove that it's actually you talking to me. you we've also been there, right? God, just give me a sign. Give me something. Show me that you're actually really here. So Gideon says, I have a, uh, give me a sign. So God basically says, all right, here's the deal. Go prepare an offering for me and bring it back, and I'll show you it does. So Gideon goes and does that, and this is Old Testament times. I'm... This is where like I don't want you to take everything super literal because I don't want you to look for a sign and go home and like butcher your cat and like do an offering here, okay? Just want to just want to make sure we're all in the same same spot here, okay? But he basically has this offering and says, all right, come back and do that. So he comes back, sets it on the altar, and the angel takes his staff and touches it, and the whole thing goes up in a flame. And Gideon is amazed. And here's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Judges chapter 6, verse 24. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. If you nerd out with me a little bit and get into the actual Hebrew of what this, this text is. The Lord is peace is actually translated into Jehovah. Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. It means the Lord is peace. The reality is, everybody, I know when you walk into church, some of you believe in God and some of you don't. Some of you walk in, you're going to walk out these doors into a really tough situation. A stressful one. A taxing one. A lonely one. A difficult one. And you can hear the words I say, and you can feel good in this place. But sometimes when you walk out the door, you don't make it out of the parking lot before those emotions come rushing back to you. The grappling emotions that come with life. And so you can know that you're loved by God. You can know your identity is his son. He's going to take care of you. You're his daughter, so he's not going to let you be. You can know that but when you don't experience it, it can be difficult. It can be tough. And this verse, Jehovah Shalom, is one that I have just taken hold of and just held so, so near and dear to me. Because here's the crazy thing. Gideon hadn't yet taken on the army of Midian. God gave him his purpose. He said, you're going to go and do this thing. But before Gideon even steps into it, he goes, I got peace about this. Why? Because he understood the Lord is with him. There's power in the presence of God. Here's the thing. You can take an easier route in life. You can. God might be calling you to do something crazy, way bigger than you might imagine. and It's scary. Because the opposition, the thing feels bigger than you. And it is. You have two options. You can chase it, or you can run from it. I've got to tell you, at first glance, Running from it feels way easier, way less scary, but way less fulfilling. I'm not going to ruin the end for you. You're going to have to come back next week to see how it all ends. But here's where this verse, Jehovah Shalom, has wrecked me. It's because before the miracle happens, before the battle is won, Gideon had peace. because he understood that no matter what he walks into no matter what awaits him no matter what's coming his way it doesn't matter because God's going to be with him through the whole thing he's going to be with him when he stands victorious and he's going to be with him when he is sweating buckets because he's not sure if he's going to make it the Lord is peace because the Lord is present and that is the thing I need us to walk into as we go into our week this week. You might feel like you're walking into a battle. You might feel like you're walking into something that's way too crazy. But I believe God's gonna show you things through that whole process. I want us to be a church that chases after the things God's put before us, knowing full well they're bigger than us knowing full well we can't do this on our own strength. We can't do this on by ourselves. We have to trust God when it looks scary, when it looks unknown, but we can do that because we know he is with us, which means we can have peace in the moment. I don't want to take the safe route. I want to take the God route because the God route leads to changed lives. The change or the God route leads to something big, bigger than you. There was a woman early in the 1900s that had a family. Just her and her kids, her husband, they had a quaint little farmhouse. Nothing crazy about their life. Basically just had enough to make ends meet had just enough to put food on the table. Every night for dinner, they'd sit down and pray. Every Sunday, they'd go to church and do their thing. By all accounts, just the mundane, normal things of parenthood, nothing crazy. But one day, one of her sons decided to go to this church event. Her son goes to this church event. Here's a sermon similar to this. That God's with you. God's got you. Step into the plans he has for you. And her son just comes back home. Just different. Crying, and weeping. Knowing full well God's calling him to something big. He doesn't know when, doesn't know how. Like a good mom. Soles him, holds him. Praise with him, continues to raise him the best that she can. Nothing flashy, nothing crazy, just being faithful. Well, a few years later, when this woman named Morrow Graham saw her son step into his calling, she saw one of the greatest and most impactful preachers to ever walk the planet. Billy Graham, a name a lot of us have heard, is a guy who would host church events and millions and millions of people come to know who God is because of his preaching. It started with his mom leading the way, raising her son to know God. So many times I think God brings us into big things on the heels of small steps of obedience just doing the right things, the right small things leads way into something bigger and awesome. So today, I, just, I really believe that Jehovah Shalom is something a lot of us need. We need the peace that God provides. The peace knowing everything's gonna work out. The peace that says it might get sticky, it might get difficult, it might be hard at times, but don't worry because I will carry you through. If you lean on me, if you trust me, if you let me just hold you, I promise you there's gonna be beauty in the ashes, there's gonna be growth, there's gonna be amazing things. And in the meantime, I'll exchange your fear and your worry. peace I'm excited for next Sunday because the end of the story is pretty awesome but the reality is I know when you walk out those doors the end of your story is not quite here yet so I want you to experience that you can have peace in the unknown you can have peace in the not yet because you can know that God's with you through it all this morning, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that when you walk out these doors, you might walk into the same situation. There's a different peace you have. So you pray with me. Jesus, your name, Emmanuel, quite literally means God with us. God, we don't have to do anything to change that fact. Because the reality is that built into our identity is this fact and this truth that you will never leave us and never forsake us. Even if we're running, even if we've got doubts like Gideon, even if we doubt if you're even real, if you're even with us, you can take it because you want to show us that you are. So God, as we go into a new week, as we go into situation we walked in with. God, I pray that those in here, instead of feeling the weight of sadness, the weight of loneliness, the weight of mental disparity, the weight of worry, the weight of uncertainty, all of these things, God, that keep us up at night, that weigh heavy on our shoulders, I pray, Jesus, that we could exchange him for your peace. God, that's what you want to do. That's what you died for. To take those things on your shoulders, we won't have to. God, today, I pray that we'd walk out of these doors knowing the battle is not fought in our own strength, but in yours. I pray, God, that we'd have the heart of Gideon to be real with you and honest with you, but to ultimately accept your peace because there is power in your presence, God. So Jesus, we ask that you would move. If we've been running from you. If we've doubted you. If we've never just fully been with you. I pray, God, that we would say in our own time, in our own way, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And we'd ask you to be a part of our life, God. That's where it all starts. So Jesus, for those in this place, may they walk out feeling your strength and your love and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast of the Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.